Morning, everyone. I'd like to tell you a story. Lucy ran out of the empty room into the passage and found the other three. It's all right, she repeated. I've come back. What on earth are you talking about, Lucy? asked Susan. Why, said Lucy in amazement, haven't you all been wondering where I was? So you've been hiding, have you, said Peter. Poor old Lou, hiding and nobody noticed. You'll have to hide longer than that if you want people to start looking for you. But I've been away for hours and hours, said Lucy. The others all stared at one another. Batty, said Edmund, tapping his head, quite batty. What do you mean, Lou? asked Peter. What I said, answered Lucy. It was just after breakfast when I went into the wardrobe. And I've been away for hours and hours and had tea and all sorts of things have happened. Don't be silly, Lucy, said Susan. We've only just come out of that room a moment ago and you were there then. She's not being silly at all, said Peter. She's just making up a story for fun, aren't you, Lou? And why shouldn't she? My open heart, open word talk this morning is all about stories. We quite probably grew up through infancy listening to stories. We tend to enjoy stories, either in spoken, book or movie form, whatever our age. Stories can both define and cross generational, social and cultural boundaries. They're very important ways of communicating The stories are relevant. They have multiple uses. Being used for recording events, passing on information, and probably, most usually in our time and culture, for entertainment. But some stories have an added component. They are true stories. Some go even beyond this. They are true and current Stories. Stories that are happening now. Newspapers and current affairs shows know very well that we love a good story. Stories are convincing. We live in a world of information where much is presented as truth, but it's often disputed. Some is presented as history and fact. But again, the historian or the reporter may be doubted or accused of being biased or having an agenda. And pictures are certainly not to be trusted as truth. Reason is regarded as fluid. What is reasonable seems to depend on your situation, your circumstances, and what's already happened. So... In our current age, I would suggest that a lived out, tangible and current story is actually more convincing than reason, truth 
or history. As these three, good though they are, tend not to persuade, but rather set up debate. I'd like to give you a little bit of a quiz. I'm going to describe a bit of a story. Well, there's three stories. I won't mention any characters' names or any places. So can you guess the story? There's three. First one. A young girl finds herself living with a stepmother and a couple of sisters who treat her as a slave. An opportunity arises to go to a prince's ball through the benevolence of a fairy godmother. Got that one? Okay. Again, no names or places. A boy and a girl from two opposing families fall in love. That's only the first sentence. (laughs) They go through many tribulations and with the help of some friends, they find a way to marry against all the odds. However, the plan goes tragically wrong. And they both end up dead. Got that one? Romeo and Juliet, yes. But you got it on the first sentence. No names, no places, nothing. A little bit harder, this last one. A scientist and his assistant set out to find a great sea monster. Causing havoc among ships. They find it. Only did he discover it's a submersible ship upon which they are rescued and then held captive. The captain of the ship shows them many wonders beneath the waves as they journey through the different seas. 20,000 leagues under the sea. Stories are memorable. And as we remember parts or situations or characters it leads us to remember further details about the story. And as we recall those, they lead us to yet more detail. If I begin to tell you a story about a little girl in a cape heading off through the woods to take her grandmother some cakes, you could probably tell me something about the colour of her clothing, (laughs) who she meets, and a whole lot more besides, depending on the version. But if I tell you how much flour was in a recipe, or the first step in an instruction manual, that may not be as likely to lead you to what to do next. So in summary, the the three ideas here, stories I believe are relevant, they're convincing, and they're memorable. Now, there are various ways that we might categorise some stories. And I'm going to suggest seven basic plots. And Emma and Lucy are going to bring round a little handout uh, and some pens. If you haven't got a pen, if you have got one ready, I don't think I've quite got enough pens. But if you'd like to take, take a sheet and pass them on, um, if you just give out a lump, Emma, to each row... And on this, there are some categories, um, and I'd like you to think of a story you know, it might be a favourite one, it might be one you didn't like, it might be one you just remember from school or something. It doesn't really matter 
The point is this idea of categorization. And some of these stories will have multiple plots. And you might think, well, that one's got this and that and the other. But just place them as you prefer. It's not hugely important. But there's two lines underneath each descriptor. One that says X and one that says Y. Got to get a bit of um, algebra in there. Um, And so on the X one, just fill in the first story or your favourite story that comes to mind in that category. For those of you that haven't um, come across the word protagonist before, it simply means for this exercise, um, the, the lead character. So does everyone now have a sheet? If you'd like to put up your hand if you haven't. Uh, some people over there, Emma. If you just take a lump over there. Does anyone still need a pen? If you put your hand up. As well. Now, it's not a test, and I'm not going to collect these in, and you won't be marked on them or anything like that. It's just to get us thinking about the different types of stories. So, the first one then, overcoming the monster. So, this is often kind of good against bad type story. You know, the, the, the setup is there for good against bad. Can you think of a story... Um, Maybe it's one of those ones that's there. That's fine as well. Um, Where you've got this overcoming the monster idea. And if you'd like to just go on through that. Thanks for that, Emma and Lucy. Did everyone get a sheet now? Excellent. And do feel free to discuss it or ask people, what is that? What's that about? I haven't heard of that story. And I'll give you about five minutes. X is where you're writing down your favourite story. Leave Y blank for later. Thank you. Or so on that. Don't worry if you haven't got through all of those. If you get a bit bored with stuff I'm saying later, you can go back and fill them in then. Um... What about, though, what about the Bible? We've thought a bit about this through that video, excellent video, um, this morning. And we might see the Bible as, if you like, the story of God. And some may say it's an old story. But some may say it's current. Some may say it's fiction. And others may say it's fact. But it's clearly a story made of many different stories. But the overall themes are pretty clear. And it's also a story written by many different writers in many different forms. And some of the Bible, this story of God, is historical. Some of it is poetic. Some of it is instructional. And some of it is prophetic. Without question, though... This story changes lives. 
a fact or a truth might be true, but would, for instance, it change your life to know that 50 light years away from here, the super-fast planet 51 Pegasi b orbits its star in just four days? A story that is true can be life-changing. It can inspire hope. So what I'd like you to have a go at now is, can you think of any Bible stories in those seven categories? So you've had a look through the categories. I think this is going to be harder. I I think you are probably going to want to discuss this and um, work a bit together on this. But have a look now. You've got line Y, which hopefully is blank. Um, Can you think of a Bible story? It could be just a little section or it could be an overall bigger theme. But that's fine. But just try and see if there are any of these categories in the Bible. So I'll give you a bit less time this time because you know what the categories are now. Um, To go through and against line Y, write down any Bible story you can think of that goes with those categories. Okay. Um, Probably some of those categories are a bit harder than others. Did anyone get anything for um, number five? Ruth, story of Ruth, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, could be, could be, Zacchaeus up a tree, right, yeah, okay, it's a bit harder though, wasn't it, did anybody put David and Goliath for number one, see, some are easier than others, definitely, um, but the point, I suppose, is that it It is possible to go through, isn't it, and say there are stories that fit into different categories that are in the Bible. And some of them, we might say, is is really quite important. These ones like um, the idea of rebirth and things like that. So, let's turn to a story that Jesus told. It's a very well-known story. It's in Luke chapter 15. And if you are using um, the Bible in in your seats, uh, then it's on page 1049. And it's titled, The Parable of the Lost Son. Jesus spoke in stories a lot of the time. So... We're in good company, I think, if we use and choose to use stories as Jesus did. So, the parable of the lost son. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, 
there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, that is a very well-known story. And I suspect uh, as we began it or even looked it up, um, you may well have thought, I know how this ends. I know this story. But I'm going to dispute the fact that we know how it ends. I like to see this as a story that doesn't really reveal the end. It's almost like a beginning. If these characters' lives were formed into a trilogy, as many good stories are, then this would be part one. But why is this a useful story for Christians to know what can be learned from it why is this a useful story for anyone who does not know about Jesus or about God does it reveal anything 
Well, Jesus is talking, it seems, about the kingdom of God. That was his major thing. And in particular, he is describing what the Father is like. So here we see an earthly father and two sons. The father is the owner, the creator of the family, the one who holds power and wealth. The earthly father then clearly represents God, the heavenly father. And so the story goes on, culminating in this return of the younger son and his restoration. Oh, and then there is the uh, envy of the older brother. And then also there is the father's attempt to affirm the older son. So we can tell from this parable that the father is wealthy. He's powerful. He is loving. He is forgiving. He is generous. He is able and willing to restore. And as we read it, we might identify with that younger son and see ourselves running away from God. And then through the grace and saving power of Jesus, returning to the Father. We may identify a bit with the older son, begrudging God's generosity and forgiveness to those perhaps who've performed terrible acts. But what happened next? Did the younger son continue a wonderful and idyllic relationship with his father? Did the older son run off like the younger, only to return later? Did the father keep on having to forgive and restore his sons? We can't tell from this. And that, for me, is the intriguing part of the story. The intriguing part of God's story. The intriguing part of my story. The intriguing part of our story. We don't know how it continues. The writer of this book, Luke, in Acts, he does begin for us the story of the early church during the time of the apostles. And there are many stories or histories we can use to pick up and see how this continues down through the ages. But what of it? Why read the story of the church? I would suggest, as well as being an intriguing and interesting read, it enables us to see our part in the church of Jesus Christ. To see and understand where we come from. It also enables us to see what is transient, what's changing all the time, and what's unimportant. It also enables us to see what's fixed and firm and vital. And it tells us of our place within it. Have you ever thought of your life as a journey story? 
maybe a, a quest or an adventure. Have you ever considered your story to be tied up with God's story? We are part of something much bigger. And those of us who are following Jesus as Christians, we have an amazing story. It goes back to the very beginning of time when God began his creation of the world. And it continues to this day. And it will continue long after we leave this earth. And our little bit of the story adds in to the big story. Our little journey story can tell things about God. It can glorify God. It can reveal how loving and forgiving and powerful he is. And when we view our life as a journey story, in the light of and in connection with God's story, we also see the meaning to questions, I think, of the greatest importance and relevance. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Why is there something rather than just nothing? These are big, important questions with answers found in God's story. Our story, if we are on that journey with him. And these are questions that we know are not answered satisfactorily by technology and science. Wonderful and full of many answers, though those disciplines are. God's story answers our questions about meaning. If someone asked you, what's your story? What's your story? How would you respond? Bit of homework there, you can... You can prepare a one or two minute version of your story so far and share it in house group this week. Or you could get together as house group and prepare your stories. But perhaps your question is now, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Get that one? (laughs) thought Steve would be onto that straight away. That was an interesting song story by Queen. Well, a good story is one thing, but is it a true story? If that's your question, I'd encourage you, look back in history and ask, does it work? Does it actually change lives? Does it produce just a blind devotion Or is there some evidence of real resilience and hope? Does it affect the journey? That's a good starting point. You might then be able to look at historical evidence and academic arguments if you choose. But ultimately, if you really want to know what a journey is like, if you want to truly know how it feels to be on a quest to follow Jesus. And if you want to know absolutely certainly whether forgiveness, acceptance and restoration is actually possible for you, then the only way I would suggest is to go on the journey. 
begin the journey. And there's no guarantees in one sense. You can't flick to the end and see what happens through the whole story. You have to begin and work through it. Unless you begin a journey story with Jesus, there can be no end. You can never know how it would have turned out. So where can the story of this prodigal son, the story of God, and our own story lead us this morning? Well, I would suggest the story of Christianity is life-changing. We can be a part of that bigger, ongoing story. We can share that story. The bits where we succeed and, I think very importantly, the bits where we fail. And we can share that story to inspire hope in others, to help them on their journey. We can look back on that story and it will lead us to give thanks and glory to God and see his faithfulness. We can look forward in that story and see those blank, unwritten pages and know that whatever gets written there has meaning and hope. And it won't conclude even when we are in heaven with Christ. What a story.